mind you, the Performance Insight Session, for those of you who are new, it's something we do uh, every month. And the idea is to really share with you why we train, the way that we train, so we can all learn and embrace the process and experience. And then also to get some really accomplished guest speakers to share some of their stories so that we can hopefully get motivated, inspired to be better athletes in what we do and better human beings as well. Because a lot of what we learn in sport, I'm sure you'd, you'd, you'd concur with me, we can apply to our lives. So I'm really delighted that Amy Wilmot has uh, agreed to join us this evening. Hi, Amy. Is Bobby Hiya. behaving himself? So he's currently asleep and I'm hoping that it lasts at least half an hour. But if it doesn't, I've got my bottle and the, and the TV ready. <laughs> So fingers crossed, so I do apologise, but my grandpa, my parents are not very well, and he's teething, not very well, so I was a bit like, I haven't got anywhere to put him, so he's asleep for now, no. so hopefully he's good. I think we've all been there, I think we've all been there, so don't apologise, we've all uh, we've all had that experience. Um, so some of you would have met Amy through the video feedback, as you know, Amy's working with us as our performance swim coach, and I know a lot of you have seen your uh, swimming improve, which is great. But I'd like to sort of give you a bit of background on, on sort of Amy's resume um, before we go into sort of the chat, if that's okay. So some of you may or may know Amy is a former competitive swimmer. She's represented Great Britain at multiple Olympic Games, and she's also represented England at the Commonwealth Games, as well as winning some national titles and world titles in her sport. In the Olympics, she represented GB in London 2012, the home, home Olympics. In 2016, she was in Rio. And then I believe in 2020, you was off to Tokyo, I think. And that was your last Olympic experience. And then in the Commonwealth Games, uh, you've had a number of uh, outings, Delhi, Glasgow, and then in the Ivory Coast, sorry, not the Ivory Coast, the Gold Coast, <laughs> where you won gold in the 400 individual medley. Is that, that, that right? brilliant and you decided after traveling the world picking up some great air miles and doing lots of swim that you sort of hang up the the cap in 2021 you're now a, a retired professional swimmer and a full-time mum <laughs> pretty much <laughs> <laughs> so the way that we're still going to structure the, the 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 talk this evening is we're going to ask amy to talk a bit about her background in sport what motivated her to get into competitive swimming and really compete at the highest level. The Olympic Games, it doesn't get any bigger as we, we know. So we're going to ask Amy to share some of the stories around that. We're then going to take a look at the Olympics and the Commonwealth Games and ask Amy to share some stories and some, you know, how did she train for those events? You know, four years is a long time. So unpacking that and really look at what a typical week looks like and any lessons we can learn to remain focused and, and committed to, to our personal goals. And then the last thing is really what some key lessons or experiences that Amy can share to this group that we can take away and apply to ourselves so that we become better athletes and better, better people. Just as an icebreaker, Amy, and this is something we've asked all our, our sort of guest speakers. So what does high performance mean to you? I think for me, I was kind of thinking about this question a lot and it, it, it's obviously very different to, to each athlete. But I think for me, it's mastering your, your craft and your skill. Um, so for me, it was trying to be the very best that I could uh, in my sport and achieve the highest level that I could achieve. Um, I think that's different for everybody. Everyone's ceiling level in whatever they're doing is obviously different. But if you can achieve the top of your ceiling, then for me, that 
is your high performance and it's your very best that, that you could be. So I think for me, that's how I would define high performance is the best that, that you could you can be and you can achieve, not necessarily just the best in the world and the best of everyone in, in their specific sport or walk of life, but maximising the potential that you've got as, a, as an individual. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, that's great, and I guess you know we'll probably come to this about it's about setting goals, looking at what you need to achieve, breaking it down, and 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 really delivering against that. But I think that's that's a great sort of icebreaker, a great opener. So if we rewind the clock many many years, because I know you're still very very young, but you started swimming even younger, can you just talk us through you know what what was the aspiration or the inspiration to start getting into into sport and then swimming? So my dad was Olympic, um, so I think probably somewhere buried inside the gene, there was the capability to to have some of those um, sort of uh, skills that he possessed. Um, but really, when I was younger, my parents me to be able to learn to swim, um, just to be safe in the water, and really that was their only focus. Um, kind of obviously, like any parent wants their child to to enjoy something that maybe they do. So. I was lucky enough that I really enjoyed swimming as a youngster. I learned to swim through all the lessons. And even though the lesson side of things, I didn't necessarily enjoy. I love being in the water. I love playing. I love being with my friends. So it just naturally progressed for me. And I went swimming more times a week when I knocked off other school activities when I was sort of 11 and 12 and focused on swimming or going to brownies or doing sort of uh, after school clubs. So it, it took off really early for me. And probably when I was, 11 I realized well my parents realized that I was quite good for my age and I, I kind of enjoyed swimming well and, and being good at, at something um and it just took off from there really and I've just always loved swimming and, and enjoyed the the training aspects as well as the competing side of it and did you find because I think you, you mentioned your dad was I mean your dad represented GB at the Olympics as well didn't he I think in Los Angeles and is it you've got a sister that's also a competitive swimmer? So was it very much, you know, you're in a hot house of, of, of swimming is what you do? Is, was that the family, you know, um, days out? Was that the... Bit. Obviously, I, me and my sister were both pretty good swimmers. Um, I think, obviously, having a dad who was an Olympian, he taught me the, the right way how to swim. Probably. So I had average technique. I wasn't the best technique, but I had that determination and drive from being day dot that I wanted didn't want to walk I wanted to run I didn't really want to just swim I wanted to be good at it so everything I did I tried to be the best at so it was kind of music to my ears that my my sister and me enjoyed swimming and we wanted to swim um wasn't always kind of smooth sailing at home sometimes it was well I think I know best and I was only 12 years old but having a dad that been there and it was only a little bit older that I realized what he'd actually achieved and, and how good he actually was. So it was always the the swimming side of that. And then my mum was always the the support. So she was the one who was making sure I was fed and I was had the right food in me. So she did a lot of research to help me when I was younger um, so that I could be as good as I want to be. And, and if I was putting the effort in in the pool and training really hard, then my dad always said, well, we'll put you the best outside because it's almost if you're giving the hard work we'll give the hard work to help you get there so it was a massive team effort and my sister swimming as well she was very very talented but didn't necessarily have the work ethic that I had so it was kind of like chalk and cheese sometimes on who was swimming well who wasn't what was going on in in, in school and how we were 
enjoying doing the periods we were going through and whatnot. So it was definitely a family affair, but I always remember it being just really enjoyable. And basically, yeah, everything we did was which competition are we at this weekend or what pool are we at? And my mum and dad couldn't give enough to help support me and my sister. Yeah, and I think that's really important, having that support network around you, isn't it? Did, I mean, did you find having a sibling, you were competitive? Was it someone to compete against or was it someone to support you to compete against the, the outside world? I think because we were different age categories, and I guess when you're younger, you're this age and that age, that we didn't, we very rarely kind of went up against each other. So that was really nice because we are quite close in age. It's only about 18, 19, you know, but we were two kind of swimming years and school years apart. So yes, it might have been my sister was coming through a little and maybe looking at what times I was doing. But at that age, we were also very good at different events. So there wasn't a lot of, comparison really between my sister and me in terms of the times and the scoreboard my mum used to just get annoyed if one of us wasn't in any effort in the travel way to a competition for this one for this for the one of us and the other one was kind of being left at home or whatever so it, it was more the the effort and the work I think that my parents really kind of tried to instill between us that we were competitive over not necessarily who was the better swimmer really yeah, yeah, that's that's really that's really um, that's really important. Now, I think I read somewhere that you started obviously very very young to, to to swim, as you said. You know, your parents wanted you to be comfortable in the water at quite a young age, but you won your first national championship at about age eleven. Yeah, so I was, I guess, a good swimmer. I was naturally a good swimmer. I wasn't necessarily the most talented in comparison. Me and my sister, she was very talented little bit lazy and she'll kind of openly admit that and she wasn't really driven to be very good the opposite side was me who didn't really have the talent was a bit scrappy wasn't very tall or strong but I wanted to be the best and I wanted to try and be the best and excel and when I was younger I was a very very good backstroke swimmer and I really couldn't swim any of the other strokes very well at all like I was terrible at front crawl and butterfly to the point where I couldn't swim butterfly very well at 11 um, front crawl I never got any of my like kind of times of being eight nine and ten so I was just so far behind at that but when it came to backstroke was my preferred stroke I was just very like very talent very kind of gifted in that stroke in comparison to the rest of them but I just had to constantly work because I wasn't very tall um so I knew I was quite good at that one stroke and that was really all I could do um and at 11, I won my first national title in the 200 metres backstroke. And it wasn't really until kind of the next year that I, I realised I was starting to maybe get a little bit better at the other strokes. So I just kept working at everything. And I came from a programme where I had to swim all the events and all the strokes, regardless of what my main event was. So I just was lucky that my coach basically didn't give me the choice to just do the one I was good at. I had to do everything regardless. And as I got a bit older and was sort of 13, 14, the rest of my strokes started to kind of click together a little bit. And I realized that nobody liked doing the 400 medley because it was really hard. It was hard to train for, and it was hard to kind of master all four strokes. So I kind of threw myself towards that kind of like tunnel basically. And was like, that could be my opportunity because it's challenging, it's tough, and not many people like doing it. So I just naturally kind of gravitated to the hard work and the hard event. And that was where I then saw all my success from, really, after the age of 14, when I started to really work on that as an event and, and understand more and learn a lot. 
Yeah, I mean, that sounds quite, I mean, I mean, looking at the event that had almost like the least competitors because it was so difficult. I mean, it's quite a strategic decision for so one, you know, so, so, uh, you know, a girl that's like 12, 13, 14, you know, was that your decision or did you have your, your influence with your dad, your coaches, was it a team or did you just, just like that challenge? I think it just happened naturally. It wasn't like, oh, nobody does that, therefore you should do it. It was you've got a very good backstroke and a breaststroke and they were the they're the core of a 400 medley if you've got a really good center you can kind of pair patch on the outsides as it is so as i started to get better and and improving the other strokes i kind of thought wow if i was good at the front and the back like i could be really good at this event so that was when i kind of thought right that's the challenge really my 200 backstroke was I wasn't really getting massively quicker each year because I was so quick when I was younger, but I was taking lots of time off everything else. So it was kind of the excitement for me was, oh, I'm taking lots of time off this, so I'll keep working on this. And I think it just naturally went that in that direction. And yeah. when I realised kind of how good I was in the world, even though I was only young, I was looking at kind of world rankings on my 400 medley versus world rankings at 200 backstroke and I was way down the list because it's more competitive it was um a lot faster than probably I was capable of so I thought well I'm actually in a better position there so why don't I just keep working on both of them and and see what kind of takes off and not just focus on the one that I really liked because I hated butterfly to, to an absolute passion like I couldn't stand it when I was younger I would do anything to get out of it but my program and my training I came from a program where I had to do that because it was the hardest stroke. So there was always a big chunk of butterfly in my program. So kind of luckily, because I had that forced upon me, it, it really helped me when I was, say, 15, 16. And then I ended up actually, when I was a lot older, being a very good butterfly swimmer and winning some international medals in that event. When, and I'd never won an international medal in backstroke when that was my main event when I was little. So it kind of everything just totally went 180 really and, and flipped so I, I guess at the time you never think that you'll be good at something that you're really rubbish at but because I had to work on it yeah and I had to improve on it sort of through 15 16 17 it then became almost a strength of mine because I'd worked on it so much yeah that's really that's really interesting I mean like taking a weakness and just turning it into a strength just through hard work so you're you're a young teenage uh, uh, girl. You're obviously you're at school. You've got all the things that teenage girls go through. Can you talk? At what point did you wake up and go, "I want to be an Olympian"? And and can you sort of remember that moment and then what you did to make that that happen? I think the first that I remember the Olympic bid for London for London 2012, and I must have only been 11. And I remembered watching the video that was like, "Olympic, could London get the Olympics?" And there's the little girl on the block, and like for me, that's the best bit of advertising I've ever remembered because it's the only bit that I really remember from the whole Olympic video because it was at the very beginning, obviously it was in my sport. And I remember turning around and being like, I want to be an Olympics at the Olympics like my dad. Obviously when I was 11, didn't really understand the gravitas of that and really know what was going on. And my mum and dad were like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Thinking well, it's never going to happen again. Like your dad's been, he knows how hard it is. Like it doesn't just happen. So they were obviously really supportive and I think they started to realise as I was getting older that I was actually becoming very good, not just in this country, but internationally when I was comparing myself against 11-year-olds that had already been, uh, swimmers that in this country had gone to the Olympics in certain events. So I started to become a little bit more interested 
my mum then started to kind of get all the stats out and even at 13 be like oh look you're here and so and so is there so that constant competition like of comparison for me just made me want to be better and I think when I went to the I was very fortunate that after I was 14 at the nationals it was the first time I got picked to compete internationally and it was the European Youth Olympic Festival and I remember getting the kit and thinking that's it now I don't just want to have been here as a junior I want to get to the Olympics and I want to get to London because it's a home Olympics and everybody says how amazing it'll be and that never ever happens in like your lifetime so to be at the top of my game when that happens like was just the main goal so pretty much from then when I was 15 I I worked one year on each stroke in order to maximize that one and I started with my weakest one and got sort of the last year was my best stroke to give myself the very best chance so my coach that came in at the time um Lisa Bates she just kind of basically went right this is what we're going to do. This is four years, for three years, I think it might have been at the time. So you're going to go one year all on Butterfly. You're going to race Butterfly every event, regardless of the programme, whether it fits with the 400 medley or not, you're going to do it. So everything I did was then centred around that. And then I went towards backstroke. So it, it just kind of basically meant that I had like a clear thing to constantly work on all the time. And it was the only way I was going to make the Olympics in London was if I really worked on the thing I wasn't very good at. So that's basically what I did and and I achieved the qualifying time at, at the trials and then was fortunate enough to go to London. So it was kind of like a dream when I was little, kind of instilled by, right, I'm actually okay and I'm quite a good swimmer. But obviously to get to the next step, I've got to work even harder and put even more in, into what I want to do. So basically everything in school, I kind of took a step back and that was it really for me. It was, I want to go to London in 2012 um, knowing I was only going to be 19 but it was just something I really wanted to do yeah so so I mean that's really interesting so if we just look at that process you said it was a free uh, the Olympics is a four-year cycle as we know but yeah. you said you had three years so so can you talk us through how do you prepare for that you know how do you stay motivated how do you you know how do you ensure that when you jump out of bed every morning you know you know we look at plans maybe weekly or blocks of four weeks how do you how do you prepare for a four-year cycle it was all it was all mapped out for me. Obviously, when I was that young, I didn't really I understood I had to do hard work hard and whatever. And it was kind of like set goals, but I didn't understand like the the scale of it. So basically, pardon me, my coach put, this is what we're gonna do this year, this year, this year. We're gonna break this year down into three chunks, because it was always pre-Christmas, pre-trials, pre the end of the season. So then we were like, right, what are we going to do in there? Where are we going to race? What are you going to do? So because you have such a big time frame, you have to kind of like chunk it and then chunk it and chunk it so that you then work into a three-month plan. But to get to that three-month plan, you might work three months or three weeks on one week of recovery. So what you're going to focus on in each of those bits. And then it was weekly, what's the main focus of this week? So I just, everything was like, right, this week, Amy, you, this is our key sessions here, here and here. And this is what I want from you. So we just basically went like that the whole way. And that's how my whole career went, really, was this is what I want to do. But how do I get there by bringing it back like 50 steps? Because I'm not going to get there unless I get all the tiny things right. And the tiny things make such a big difference, especially when I was going into my third Olympic cycle, knowing I couldn't work any harder because my body was older. I was more fatigued. 
and I had to approach things differently because I've been basically hammering myself for so many years it was like when I was 11 I started training like an absolute animal probably more than an 11 year old should so by the time I got to 24 I was thinking 25 like I'm tired of doing this so I had to totally basically rip everything apart and think how am I now going to approach it if I want to carry on and get to the Olympics so it, it there was never a time where I didn't have anything to focus on I was always working on something like regardless of whether it was in the pool out of the pool diet nutrition lifestyle sleep recovery technique and do every single thing was always kind of what can I work on now so can you I mean this really is so it sounds like you had like an annual training plan with macro micro cycle so very similar to, to, to how our guys train and girls train um can you just talk us through a typical week because we're quite you know just to sort of bring it to life around that mix of not just in the pool but some of that sort of surrounding supporting activity yeah so I've always done ever since I was little and probably I was I came from that era of sport where work hard was what you had to do so my technique kind of took a, a step back and I worked foot solely on being competitive wanting to win being super driven and working hard so I've always kind of done around maybe not when I was 11, but definitely from the age of 14, I've always swam around nine or 10 swimming sessions a week. So that would have been like at least two hours every session. Um, I would have covered on average about 60 kilometers a week in the pool. Um, that actually got a little bit less as I got older. Um, but it was, and as I got older, my sort of period, periodization changed a lot. So I went a lot more of on and then off rather than on all the time because I'm older my body needs more recovery. So I, I then took into that, took that into account. But I've always kind of done about between two and three gym sessions a week. They last around 90 minutes. Um, around that, when I was growing a lot in particular, sort of 16 to 20, I did a lot of Pilates um, to kind of focus on that realignment, that connection through the core, basically tightening everything up so that my technique could improve in the pool. Um, I've always kind of been quite centered around getting to bed early, recovering. So I would always be, even from the age of sort of 14, I'd be in bed by nine o'clock. When I was swimming still, I was not always in bed by 10. So not really much of a difference in like 20 years of being a swimmer. Um, so everything I did around that was obviously focused on recovering so I could achieve what I needed to in those key sessions in that week. Um, and then around that, kind of looking after myself in terms of pre-pool, post-pool, I focused on a lot more as I got older, which is then like 20 minutes before the session, another 20 minutes after the session, kind of taking care of myself. I would then think about low-level endurance work, so getting out for a walk on the weekend to promote that active recovery. So everything I did was to kind of prepare me for the next week or the next session or the next, basically the next key point of my training program, whatever yeah. that was. Yeah, that's really that's really important. And how did your diet and nutrition change based on your your plan and your your, your program? So when I was younger, I ate everything and anything. Um, I needed the fuel in order to train, and a lot of the time, I think we forget that fuel is energy. I then went through a phase where I was a little bit more kind of conscious of. I needed to be lean. I needed to be powerful in order to compete with the other girls in the world and probably went too far on the nutrition stuff. Um, didn't 
end up swimming that well. And kind of when I just thought, right, I'm just eating to fuel what my performance, I started to kind of do a 360 and those results came back again. So I have always kind of watched what I eat. And for me, when I was younger, especially, I used to say every 10 kilometers that I did in the pool, I could have a treat. So whether that was like an ice cream after my dinner or it was like a piece of cake, like at lunchtime or at school or whatever. Um, so I kind of got into the fact that I was working that hard that I had to fuel my body for performance. But it was I had to fuel with the right foods. And especially as I got older, that was so important, like and not only food for energy, but food to recover. So I would really make sure that as soon as I'd finished, I was eating sort of the right type of foods I was having like a little carbohydrate snack I was then going home and having lots more vegetables with my meals than I would have when I was younger because when I was younger it was like carbs carbs pasta anything that was going to give me energy but as I got older and I'm more susceptible to injury I had to understand that I need more good food in order to help me recover and sleep better so that I can then work faster in the pool so I kind of came at it at a slightly different angle rather than I just need to be this way and this have this much energy. I thought, how can I eat and help me stay ill, stay uh, healthy? So I started to go through a phase of being ill. So what can I do in my diet to help that? Diet to help my sleep. So it kind of has always been a, a focus. But during different parts of the year, during high travel periods, it would be right strategies for recovery and and illness prevention. So it it's something that you kind of always got to think about really because it does make a massive difference like when I used to eat a load of rubbish I'd be fine for the start of the week but by sessions seven eight nine and ten I'd be absolutely terrible and I only started to realize that as I got older that it was actually quite important that I helped my body recover a lot more rather than just give it energy yeah I I think that's really important I mean I think you know you can't be fit fast and perform unless you're healthy that's the fundamental building block. Otherwise, you're trying to build a house on quicksand. Um, so just going back to that. So, you know, you would have been doing some crazy miles. You, you mentioned 60 kilometers a week, which is, you know, I'd probably do that on the bike. I, I'd hate to. The idea of doing that in a pool is, is just mind blowing. Um, you must have had some injuries, some setbacks. Can you just talk us through, you know, how you dealt with that, how you overcome that, what support you got as a high performance athlete? Yeah, so I. I have a scoliosis. Um, so when I was younger and when I was growing, it was I had a very sore back, probably 99.9% of the time um, on land more than anything. So when I swam, I didn't really notice that I was getting that much pain. But like walking for a long time, growing, I had a muscle imbalance. Everything that I had was basically a nightmare when I was growing through that sort of 14, 15, 16, 17 kind of period. Um, so because I was quite talented and I was on those pathways I was very lucky that I had access to physio and support so I I used to actually have a physio come to my school um because I didn't have any time in my schedule and at lunchtime I could have physio treatment in a classroom like in the back of the school uh kind of like the medical slash area um so once a week I would get the physio would come she'd give me the exercises I'd basically have to do all these exercises all the time in order to keep myself as lean as possible, as stretchy as possible, all these things, because I used to get really bad spasms. So I, I guess I was always conditioned that injury was there. Um, and I always had to do something to get over it um, and constantly work on those things. So when I got a bad shoulder, 
um, just before Rio. At the time, I thought, this is absolutely the end of the world. But then I kind of, part of me was like, well, I'm technically injured all the time and I've always got to manage something. So I just kind of just got into that mindset of, right, the only way I'm going to get over this and get around it is, right, I've got to manage the shoulder and I can still focus on the legs. So I did loads and loads of kick. I sat on the spin bike at the side of the pool when I couldn't necessarily kick for two hours. So I kind of mix up the intensity on the pool on a bike and then I'd swim in the pool. And that was kind of maybe six weeks just prior to Rio that this kind of kicked in. Um, Kind of went to Rio and ended up having a very good kick. My turns were very good. I had the best kind of rotation speeds around the walls. So even though I kind of, didn't necessarily swim as fast I kind of made up for the fact that I couldn't swim as fast because of my injury by having really good turns and underwater work so when I broke down the event and I swam really well and still did a PB but it was like the the ratio of turns and underwater was a lot faster than my swimming speed in comparison to my actual PB when I did it the first time so I just Obviously, what I'd worked on that weakness, I'd then turned it into a little bit of a, of a strength to overcompensate. So there's always something that you can do and work on when you have an injury. And that's not always in the pool either. It could be I'm going to focus on my lifestyle outside the pool and get more sleep and eat a little bit better and do those things. So mm-hmm. when you're in that position, it's just a case of giving yourself a clear target and a better focus, really, so mm-hmm. that you don't just kind of go on that downward spiral and think it's the end of the world yeah I think that's great advice from those sort of physical you know knockbacks because you know we all get injured at time to time and I think how you bounce back from that it's very much about you know reframing what you can do and focusing on that as a as as as, as an outlet what can you you know being an elite competitive swimmer just to qualify for the Olympic Games it's hugely competitive you've got to meet uh ridiculously fast cutoff times did you ever suffer you know, not making the grade, fear of, of, of being not good enough. And how did you overcome that more, the, the emotional, um, psychological side of, of high, 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 um, high performance? Yeah, as I got older, I actually struggled more mentally. So obviously when you're younger, you're not really scared of anything and you're not really fearful of swimming bad because in a way it's just a hobby still because it doesn't, you're still only like 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 or whatever. And you're still just swimming as kind of a hobby. When I realized that all my other friends were starting to get jobs out of university and I was still swimming and I had to kind of then, if I wanted to move out, how am I going to support that? It's then my job. And I relied on myself to swim well in order to get paid for my job. So when that happened was when I really started to put a lot of pressure on myself. So it was every year I had to make the cut if I wanted to continue doing my job because I couldn't afford to live if I didn't do well and get the funding in order to help that. Um, so that was when it became almost re- like a bit too stressful and I wasn't really enjoying swimming. I was just like, right, I have to make this and I have to make that. And it got, got quite stressful. I think once I got into that like downward spiral, I wasn't swimming well. So every year I was getting just about scraping qualification, but I was getting to the competition, not really doing what I wanted to do. So probably 2019, 
no, 2015, 16, 17, didn't really swim very well at any competition. I just about scraped it at the trials, but then when the benchmark meet matters and it was important, it kind of fell apart and I swam terrible. I was then getting really ill because I was very stressed all the time because I was worrying about that I needed to swim well in order to continue living because now I'm like 24, 25 and I'm getting on a bit. So all of a sudden I kind of just thought like a switch flipped and I went back to being like, a kid and just swimming and enjoying it and then all of a sudden my results flipped and I started to swim well again so I think a lot of the time we focus too much on the outcome before we've actually worried about the process so I was worrying about swimming bad before I'd even qualified and before I'd even got to the event so it was kind of like it was totally backwards way of thinking because I was thinking worst case scenario and then working backwards rather than thinking, well, I'm actually really good and I can do that, and then working towards it, and then what if happens might not actually happen, And I, but I was already thinking about it before I even started. So it then meant that my performances were already kind of like, I was more anxious and nervous without really realising, because I was going into it on a negative sort of term, rather than a positive, this is what I'm going to do. It was or if I don't do this, then I won't swim well. So my mental approach was totally backwards. So once I started focusing on the good things again, I then started to enjoy it more and see my results kind of get a bit better again. Yeah. And did you work that 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 sort of strategy or that coping strategy out yourself or as an elite athlete? Did you have coaches? Did you have sports psychologists? Did, did you get much support from from the sort of the, the Olympic machine, I guess? Um, like I have worked with a, quite a few different psychologists in the past, but it's almost like all of us, for me, it was very much like a light bulb moment. So it wasn't like I'm working through this and I've got to this outcome. It was very much for me, like, duh, of course, I'm not going to swim well if I'm only focusing on negative things. Like, and as soon as somebody phrased it and it was kind of like, that's exactly what I'm thinking but nobody else knows, it was like, well, of course, that's why. It, it's almost like you feel stupid because you're like, it's actual common sense. But at the time when you're kind of constantly in that thought process, you you constantly think in that way. So for me, it was someone kind of just saying, well, why are you worrying about the bad things? Because the bad the chance of the bad thing happening is like this big. So yeah. you're, you're totally approaching it the wrong way. And once someone kind of said that, I was like, oh, yeah. Like, I'm actually not helping myself at all. So why am I doing it? And I just kind of, not totally flipped back, but I went behind the block and thought, right, well, what what am I, what have I got to lose other than just to get in and see what happens? And when I went back to that, I then started to enjoy it. I started to relax more and it started to swim a little bit better. So it it's kind of like different for everyone. But for me, it was almost like somebody just like telling me and I was like, oh yeah, that makes so much sense. But I didn't see it at the time yeah no I think that's uh, I, I think sometimes you've got to sort of you know that light bulb moment if, if you like you know you can read all the books go on all the courses but it's only when you can internalize it yourself and you know apply it in your own unique way that it can actually you know it, you have the penny drop so to speak yeah. so you've qualified for for GB you've qualified for for uh, Team England uh, you, you're at those events did you find that being at the Commonwealth which is every 
four years or two years between the, between the Olympics and the Commonwealth. Did that help you um, prepare for sort of races, especially, you know, you're, you're getting up to some of the best women in the world typically used to be the Australians. So you get to, to race them every two years. Did you find that being a Commonwealth athlete and a GB athlete helped in your preparations for those big events? Yeah, I think so. Swimming for, there's, there's, there's less pressure swimming for England than there is for Great Britain. For me, there's more opportunity for you to swim. Technically, if you think about GB and there being two spaces, there's only two spaces, when you then break it down to England, Northern Ireland, Wales and Scotland, there's then eight because there's technically two in each category. So it's less competitive, which for me meant that it was less stressful. So it was more enjoyable, the environment, because as well, funding isn't kind of benchmarked on a Commonwealth Games very rarely because UK sport don't use Commonwealth Games for anything. The staff and the pressure on the event is less. So it it's a lot more fun. There's a lot less pressure from everyone, which means I put a lot less pressure on myself. It was more like, I just want to get there and swim really well. This is such a fun competition than this is what I've dreamed and trained for. So it, it definitely helps. Obviously, the first time I qualified in Delhi, I didn't really think like that. But when I got to sort of 2014 and 2018 in Glasgow on the Gold Coast, I definitely enjoyed swimming for England a lot more because there was a lot less pressure. So I used those competitions in particular just to really work through everything and know that if something went a little bit wrong, it probably wasn't the end of the world, so I could improve on it. Whereas if it went wrong at the Olympics, it's obviously a bigger stage. There's yeah. more competition with every with all the nations there from the whole world there's less chance for error so you you can kind of make your little mistakes at those competitions but use that learning for for the next one so I, I remember at 2014 it was the first time I was really really nervous up until then I'd always been like I'm so excited to race but because I was kind of predicted and factored in to do very well I was very nervous so I couldn't eat anything for lunch I struggled to get any food down me and then therefore when I raced I didn't really have much energy in me so that was the first time I learned that as soon as I finished racing in the morning I had to eat regardless if I wanted to or not because if in four hours I was nervous and basically shit myself to put it bluntly and I couldn't eat anything at least I'd had that that fuel so I learned like little things like that from yes it was pressure but it was less pressure but if I'd have done that at the Olympics and messed up then I would have been more devastated than there's because there's less room for error because at the Commonwealth Games I could swim a little bit off the boil and I still would win a medal or do well at the Olympics you've got absolutely no chance I wouldn't have even made the final if, if something like that had happened so those learning experiences were massive really yeah yeah so so you all the pressures on on the Olympics as you as you said you you was inspired by London 2012 and that really sort of started your journey to become a high performance athlete so you're now in London home Olympics uh you're just about to go out for your event um talk us through what's going through your head and any pre-race sort of rituals that uh, uh, that you go through before you go out into that that arena I remember being absolutely buzzing like the only thing that I could remember, I was, I've never been to Olympics before. Don't really know what's happening. I thought this is once in a lifetime opportunity. I might never make another one. So I've just got to go out and literally enjoy it because 
I might never get to an Olympics again. My dad only made one Olympics. So I thought it's not given that I'm going to make another one and I'm going to get this opportunity ever again. So I remember just thinking, like I was so psyched, probably I was way too psyched. I was so pumped. I had music blaring in my ears. I can't even remember what the song was. It was probably something of Eminem because that was what I used to listen to all the time at the time. And I remember just being super excited. And then someone told me not to have my headphones in when I walked out. So I took my headphones out. And as I walked out and stood behind the block, like my name flashed on the scoreboard. And all of a sudden, the, the, the noise level went from like, like you could hear a pin drop to being able to hear absolutely nothing. Like I couldn't even hear myself think. And when I realized that that was for me, because I was my flag basically was like GB on the scoreboard, I thought, oh my gosh, all these people are like cheering for me because it was quiet in the, in the heat before. Like there was no noise really. That was kind of like a massive adrenaline moment. I remember being like just so buzzing that I was like jumping up and down around the block. I was like just too, I was basically too excited. I got in, I went like an absolute clappers down the first two lengths of the race. My race plan kind of went totally out the window, but luckily I still swam okay. But I remember getting out of the race and my coach was like, what on earth did you do? And I was like, don't know. I was like, I couldn't even tell you what I was thinking about. I just remember getting in and just being like, the adrenaline just took me down the first length. Um, so it, I just loved every single bit of it. I finished, I was happy, the time was good, even though I, I swam it totally pear-shaped, but I didn't know that at the time. So it was just like the best thing and the best event and kind of like not to my knowledge, but there was a bit of a race going on between me and someone on the other side of the pool. So the noise level started to get a bit loud on the front crawl and I was thinking, what earth's happening? So you can kind of then hear noise that you've never heard before when you compete. And that was another really like surreal scenario to, to kind of go through. Yeah. Uh, it must be, it must be amazing. So, you know, it's something that I think any athlete, whatever sport they're in, the Olympics is something that is a, it's a dream, isn't it? And to do it in your home country, you know, it doesn't get better than that. So, you know, you, you've, you've represented GB three times at, on the, the biggest stage. You've represented England at least three Commonwealth Games. You've got loads and loads of experience. So if you were to package all that up for, for, for this group, you know, what would be sort of your top three you know, non-negotiables to lead in that high-performance lifestyle that you've found that's, that's, that's helped you in your career and in your life? So the first thing... And I said, like, say to everybody now, and it's re- it, it kind of like is a non-negotiable really for high performance is to make sure that you're still enjoying it because if you're not enjoying what you're doing, you'll swim rubbish or you'll do rubbish in whatever it is or you won't achieve what the very best that you could achieve because there'll always be that I don't necessarily want to put the extra bit in because I don't really like doing this. So for me, it's definitely to be in, to enjoy it. I think the second thing was not to rely on talent or just because you've done it before, you can do it again. Like you have to constantly put in the hard work and have that work ethic because somebody could quite easily come and just knock you off your perch and that's it. You're out the team. You're no longer relevant. And and that would have been it. So I knew that as I was getting older and older and older and all these youngsters were starting to kind of knock people off in other events, people were starting to come through and the team was changing and I was still hanging on that I couldn't take that for granted and I still had to work really hard. And I think the third thing, which I definitely learned, was to be really honest with myself. So just be like, oh, I've been training really hard, like I should have swam well. 
but deep down you know you haven't actually done everything that you could have to do that and I think once you realize that you're kind of like if as soon as you stop kidding yourself and you kind of think well I should have swam well because I've done this and this and you actually rip that apart and go have I actually done that probably haven't right I shouldn't have eaten that maybe before a race maybe that might have been some of the reason I think when you're totally honest with yourself then you'll get you'll you learn a lot more than just kind of assuming and just thinking oh well everything I did was good so I should have swam well maybe it was just a blip and once you start to really actually evaluate what you've done and think yes maybe everybody thinks I've done this but behind closed doors I have stayed up late every night then you start to actually really understand what needs to be done in order to be better yeah, I, I think that's great advice. And I think we can all take away something uh, from that and apply it to what we do, you know, uh, across swim, bike and run. All right, Amy, I'd like to really thank you for giving up your time. I know you're a very busy mum, uh, new house, new job. Bobby's been well behaved as well this evening. I know, so, he's still uh, asleep. The yeah, only bad that's... thing about that now is I'm going to have to wake him up because otherwise he's not going to sleep tonight. <laughs> so I kind of was like, oh, you should have been up at least 10 minutes ago. I was going to say, I don't think you'll be going to bed at nine, <laughs> nine o'clock uh, these days no. anyway. So no, thanks, for, thanks for attending, Amy. And uh, the attendees from OC really appreciate you joining. I know you've had a hard week and uh, these, uh, yeah, hopefully you've got something to take away that you can apply. So thanks again. And Amy, we'll see you very soon.